Welcome to Gross Anatomy. Hi, Lauren. Are we live? We're live, Dr. Cohen. How are you? I am good, Lauren. We're live, eh? Yep, yep, yep. Tell our um, tell our listeners what we do here. <laughs> we are live with Gross Anatomy, where we discuss the sights, smells, sounds of medicine, how it relates to movies, TV, pop culture, books, podcasts, and the world around us. And I am still Dr. Jason Cohen, and you are still... Lauren Taylor? Yeah. Yes. And we had some questions come in for you, so can I just shoot those off real quick? Yeah, I love it. I love questions. It's so exciting. They're all about fashion, and I think it's because of all the TV doctor medical shows that people watch. You mean it's not because I'm so fashionable? (laughs) Well, we do take a lot of photos of you, so maybe people are a little confused. So it's... First question, are you responsible for buying your own lab coat? That, that is a very good question, actually. Um, so the answer is yes and no. It all depends on who you're employed by in terms of the lab coat. So if you're employed by the hospital, then no, the hospital will provide you with lab coats. I don't know, though, like if you want a certain kind of upgraded lab coat, Might you have to, you know, from just the standard that the hospital has, then you may have to kick in a little bit of money unless you're a big shot at the hospital where you could say, hey, I want a fancier lab coat or a fancier engraving of my name or something like that. So employed by the hospital, you you don't have to pay. Mm -hmm. If you're a private practice person like myself, then our practice, we design our lab coats and we pay for our lab coats. And the, our staff members wear our lab coats that we've, we provide them. And anyone in our employment wears the lab coats that we provide for them. And you pay for cleaning and all of that too? Like if you do a surgery, does the hospital pay for that cleaning? Like you take it off after the surgery and they pay for it? So with lab coats, um, we, our office pays for washing the lab coats. If it's at a hospital, the hospital will pay for the lab coats I think so, but some people wind up taking them home and then they just wash them themselves. Mm-hmm. In terms of scrubs, theoretically, every hospital and surgery center will provide you with a pair of scrubs, theoretically. So, and in fact, what doctors are supposed to be doing is they're supposed to be wearing normal clothing during the day when they're seeing patients. And then they're only supposed to be, this is the olden days. And in the olden days, they only put on scrubs. They get them from the locker room. They put on the scrubs for the surgery or the procedure. They do the procedure and then they're supposed to change back into their regular clothes. And those scrubs are provided by the hospital. And there's a, they have the hospitals and and surgery centers have their own linen laundry services. These days, everybody has their own scrubs and, and, whether they, uh, a lot of people wind taking home from scrubs from the different hospitals and wash them themselves and put them on. But realistically, we're not supposed to do that. We're supposed to really return the scrubs mm-hmm. and not take them home. But then all these other companies now, fancy scrub companies have, have started like figs and this and that, where people want to wear their own fitted scrubs and whatnot, and and they do that. 
So the, the hospitals don't have the fancy fitted um, ah, body, so that, that's body where, hugging scrubs. That's where those advertisements come in. People, right. people want to look not bigger than they are. They want fitted right. scrubs. But, but the truth is, is we're not supposed to be in scrubs if we're not in the OR. And in fact, some hospitals are not, not so much these days, but when I was in training, we were not allowed to leave the OR area in scrubs. If we were not mm-hmm. operating, we, had, we would get in trouble if we didn't put our regular clothes back on. Okay, so these are now my questions. I'm going to get back to two other questions that um, yeah. our listeners had. But now my question is because I've, you know, done work at the marketing work at hospitals. I always see doctors like out in their scrubs and I always wonder how hygienic that is or like smoking or like close to a bench. I know a homeless woman lives on. Like, I just wonder. Yeah. So it's, as, I don't hygienic, know. it's as hygienic as uh, actually, I, I forgot who I was talking to. I think it was my sister yesterday saying we were talking about someone's birthday and how funny it is that once upon a time we would have a child or an adult blow all over spit and blow all over a cake (laughs) and then we would eat that cake so different rules uh, it's all relative i think okay yeah i mean i don't know what those people are doing they're probably not you're wearing scrubs and you're getting splashed and dirty theoretically you should be changing out of those scrubs. Mm-hmm. If you're just as clean in your scrubs as you are in your regular clothes, then it, then it's really just more of a uniform more than anything. Okay. And a lot of people wear a lab coat over their scrubs, and it's the lab coat maybe that gets dirty. I'm wearing my lab coat, and I tend not to wear my lab coat out, although since COVID, I, as soon as I get home, I take my scrubs off. But pre-COVID, I would go out in my scrubs. Now I get home, I take my scrubs off, I wash up, and then I put on sweats these days. Yeah, me too. I think everyone, well, you don't get to work from home, but I'm pretty sure everyone works from home in sweats, sweatpants these days. Yes, yes. All right, so the question, another question was, what do the colors of the scrubs mean? And I thought, based on you, that blue is a surgeon, green is a doctor. Is that not right? Is there vice no. versa? No, neither. Scrub, the colors of the scrubs don't mean anything. Each, oh. Many hospitals just choose their own colors so that a certain color is, belongs to a certain hospital. At some hospitals, they do tend to have different colors for the OR, different colors for text, different colors for this and that, but it's not a set color. It's, it's just random colors that they'll choose. Just, I don't know why. So, but then, but, so is there any uniform in like the nurses all have a set color, the surgeons all have set color? The nurses are supposed to wear so at least a one hot, not, not around the world. No, right. there's nothing at all like that, but some hospitals have a color especially the bigger hospitals, as they tend to get more fancy, they tend to say, okay, these, rather than letting nurses wear any kind of scrubs they want, they say, okay, the nurses have to wear this funny green color. If you're going in the OR, you wear this color. If you're a tech or a nurse assistant, you wear that color. So I, I do see that oh, more so I and was more. wrong. I thought it was like more of like usually more universal, like nurses wore more of like, a pink or purple, just based on what not I see in TV no. shows. No, not at all. And in fact, one of the 
um, one hospital called Maryland Shock Trauma, which is like a major teaching trauma center in Maryland, obviously, their scrubs are pink for the surgeons, for everyone. They're, they have pink scrubs and it's like a known thing that that's their scrubs. And, and where I trained in New York and Brooklyn, at the Brooklyn VA Hospital, they had my favorite scrubs that it, actually it turns out my wife had a pair or two of them and threw them away without me knowing. I was so upset. But um, their scrubs had one side green. It was down the middle, one side green and one side blue. And depending on the size, the color of the scrubs had a different color. And the size I like to wear was this bright orange. So it was blue, green, and bright orange. And I loved them because they were so ridiculous looking, but they were also so soft. They were the most soft scrubs I've ever had. And they were so comfy as pajamas. And I think they made them so silly and funny looking, thinking no one would steal them. But they were so silly and funny looking. And they were so comfortable that everybody stole them. Well, I was just trying to think. I was like, if I was a patient, maybe I would think that was like kind of uh, funny and would calm me down a little bit. All those... uh fun colors or something. Yeah. And, and in fact, when I first got to the hospital, to LA and was still wearing those scrubs, it, it turns out people thought lowly of me because I would wear clown scrubs, even <laughs> though they were a thing of pride to me from the yeah. Brooklyn VA. But people, it turned out, I found out years later, people thought I was a, a bit of a clown wearing those scrubs, which to this day, I still think were the coolest and most comfortable scrubs. Do you have a photo? Any throwback photos we can post? Maybe somewhere. I'd have to go hunting for those scrubs, but those were great. That would be a fun photo. All right, this is the last question. The other interesting thing, though, is at certain hospitals, um, at least I remember like at Georgetown in Washington, D.C., they did have certain uniforms depending on what level you were at. And, And I think the med students had to wear white pants and a white shirt I think, and a short and a short white coat, like a waist height white coat. And it wasn't until you were like a full surgeon that you were allowed to wear a full length coat. Oh, so that was that's actually the next question. Uh, what level uh, do you have to be to get a coat? So you're saying you just, I mean, your surgery practice provides them for everyone, like all your admin people. But although, formally, although like. That- Although our medical assistants have short coats, they don't have long okay. long coats, and and the long coats are known to be the doctor's coats, and the short coats are for staff. And um, but physician assistants and NPs also wear long coats. But okay, but so say you're coat, just an intern, or do you immediately get a coat too, or are you just wearing the scrub? Yeah. Okay. As soon as and med students are supposed to have short coats, so that's a known thing. So, so med students are only supposed they're not supposed to have long coats. At least that's how it was back in my day. When you were a med student, you had a waist. Your your coat ended like it was a jacket, not a coat, a mm-hmm. white jacket, and you got a white jacket. And it wasn't until you were a doctor that you had a long coat. Okay, all right. Yeah. See, and I don't know. I don't know if they're still strict with that tradition, but I, I like that tradition. I think, um, you know, there's something about getting your uniform and pr- pride and having and finally being a long coat as opposed to a short coat. I think so. That's why I kind of thought there was more universal uniformity in like what you guys wore, but you're clearing mm-hmm. it up for me. There is not. No, not at all. And in a lot of places, you'll see like the nurses 
aren't told what they have to wear. So, you know, one nurse is in pink, one nurse is in yellow, one nurse is in blue, one nurse is, you know, and then some people under their scrubs have a t-shirt or have a long sleeve shirt or this and, or some people just wear a scrub top and jeans or, you know, so there's a whole mix of stuff. Okay. All right. Well, interesting. Okay. So those are the questions for the day. And now I have- That's a whole long discussion. I know. And now I have a question for you about gross anatomy. We haven't shared a gross anatomy story in a while. Can you tell me? Yeah, no, we haven't. That's true. So uh, today, and and I think we may even post it, um, we took out a big tumor. That's kind of why I'm tired. I was on my feet until just now. So how long of a surgery was it? Not that long. Probably about a five-hour surgery. Not too bad. Um, Wait, maybe five hour average? That's an average time? No, no, it's, it's on the longer end of okay. things, but it's not, but I thought it could have been like seven, eight, 10 hour surgery. So, so, uh, I, I'm, I was very pleased, but, uh, and I don't want to jinx us. I'm a little superstitious, so I don't want to talk too highly and, and to be too proud about how it went. But, uh, this patient had a giant tumor bigger than a grapefruit growing, um, in the, what's called the retroperitoneum, which is inside of their belly, inside of the abdomen, but kind of towards the back. And it was stuck to the spine a little bit and stuck to the muscles of the back. Uh, and it was stuck to part of the colon, the large intestine. So we had to take out part of the large intestine. And I think we're going to post a picture of the tumor. It looked about the size of a grapefruit. We got it out and hopefully poo, 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 everything's going to do great. And the patient's going to do great. Wow. So is that something they just didn't come in time for like that it got so bad or did they really not, was there no way to know? Often with those kind of tumors, there's no real way to know unless they come in with something else or something else is going on. So this particular patient had some kidney issues and the kidneys were kind of related to the tumor a little bit, but the patient got a CAT scan uh, of the abdomen. And then we saw, Whoa, here's this big tumor. Oh, wow. That's really scary. So it's nothing that they did wrong. It's nothing that they did wrong. No. So like many things I ask you, there's no rhyme or reason for why someone would get something like that. There really isn't. Um, Unfortunately, uh, unfortunately, in terms of not being able to prevent it, to some degree, certain cancer, certain tumors are familial. So people with family members who get a lot of cancers who have cancers should certainly be more aware of that possibility. And then there are the genes that we've all talked about multiple times that may predispose people to cancers. But lifestyle maybe plays a risk, uh, plays plays a factor a little bit too. But a lot of it is just luck. Mm-hmm. Or bad luck, yes. Yes. Yeah. Not, not great. Okay. Uh, Anything else you want to fill us in on? So I watched The Resident. You wanted me to watch The Resident. Yes, I wanted you to watch it. I watched the pilot, and and that actually talks about. We'll talk, but but it made me think about the whole scrub question and outfit question because they're the residents. One residents in a shirt and tie, which is how we pretty much were, and a lab coat, which is how it was when I was growing up. But then, like the guru resident is just like in a scrub top and a pair of pants and has like a, another shirt underneath it, right? So mm-hmm. it's interesting in that is how everybody dresses differently and um, it's interesting. So, uh, so we watched, watched, we were, yeah. yeah. So we have a podcast with an influencer, Anya Nicolodi, 
And she recommended this show. She said she was hooked on it, The Resident, which apparently is in its fourth season. So a lot of people are hooked on it. Which surprised me I because I didn't know that. Did you watch the pilot? Yes. So we could talk about it. All right. Did you watch, did you watch more than the pilot? No. Well, first I want to know as somewhat, you're not totally a lay person really anymore, Lauren, but as a lay-ish person, yes, I am. What, what are your thoughts on The Resident? And wait, how many episodes have you seen? Just the pilot? Just the pilot. Okay. So you're just the pilot too? So we're just, just the pilot, ready. but I want to watch, but I definitely plan on watching at least one more episode because I am a little intrigued. Yeah. Well, the first scene, as you would think, you know, to be able to sell the series, the first scene of the pilot was pretty good. It was a patient dying on the table. Someone hit an artery and an appendectomy. I can't say it. Appendectomy. Mm-hmm. Appendectomy. So this surgery did not go well the, in the pilot. And the guy woke up, which leads me to another question I have for you. Have you ever been doing a surgery where they didn't give what they, they didn't give him enough what? So watching that opening scene, I almost was done with the show. Because I, I thought okay. that. I See, thought I wish that, I could have. I want to record you actually watching it. So tell okay. me what you thought. But so, so should I watch it on my phone right now and you'll record me afterwards? Yeah, let's do that. (laughs) But, but watching that scene was ridiculous. I really, on so many levels. Okay. That's what I wanted to know. So that scene, the rest of the show kind of made up for it, but on, but that part was Pathetic, especially if it's... See, in a lay person, that brings you into it. So that's yeah. probably why they do it. But from a doctor's perspective, I was thinking this can't happen. It was Well, on so many levels. First of all, almost as, at a big hospital like that, the chief of surgery would not be doing the surgery. He'd sure. be assisting. If he's even there, he probably wouldn't even be there. But if he were there... He'd be kind of watching or just assisting a junior person doing the surgery because that's a very junior operation. So he would be watching or assisting. He would not be doing the surgery no matter how big his ego. And the truth is, if he had a huge ego, he would really not be doing the surgery. Someone with a small ego, you know, someone with a chief of surgery would not be doing that operation. Okay. Especially at that hospital, especially at that level. And if a chief of surgery were doing that operation at a hospital like that, he or she would be doing it laparoscopically with scopes and cameras, not an old fashioned incision. It would be with scopes and cameras and three little holes, um, especially watching how that surgery went down. So, so much of that was just wrong, totally Mm -hmm. wrong. And and that's what really kind of bothered me. And, And that's one of the things about this podcast is is one of the reasons why we started this podcast is to kind of debunk and talk about those kind of things. It, it yes. was just so ridiculous, so make-believe. There's no way the surgeon would be doing the surgery, no way he, he, he would make that kind of mistake unless maybe he were intoxicated. And, mm-hmm. and uh, you know well, what I mean? Hand, so his hand was shaking and you kind yeah, of assume that's ridiculous. and he's trying to yeah, hide but that, it. But why would he, again, why would he be doing that surgery if he wants to hide it? Why wouldn't he right. just have the, the junior right. so, do it? So it's ridiculous. Now, does a patient sometimes wake up That's what I want like to that? Occasionally. Usually, though, they what's called get light. 
so so you start first noticing you know there's a little bit of movements or twitches or some more muscular activity and usually the surgeon's aware of it and says to the and usually the anesthesiologist is on top of it but the surgeon will say to the anesthesiologist hey it seems like the patient's anesthesia is getting a little light get them deep again and mm-hmm. and that's what usually happens very rarely with like a young inexperienced anesthesiologist or for whatever reason, occasionally a patient may start bucking or something like that. It's, it's, that does occasionally happen. And then my next question is, so he nicked an artery. Is that just game over like it was for that patient? No, that, that whole thing was really pathetic. I mean, theoretically, if he accidentally stand, first of all, again, he would not have been doing that surgery that way. And it was just so pathetic. And, and, yeah, maybe if you nick an artery, but the truth is you would stop the bleeding. Especially a senior surgeon would just shove their fist in and push, push. I have a good gross anatomy story. So when I was doing my residency a zillion years ago in a little town called Brooklyn, New York, I was training at a hospital called Kings County in East Flatbush, Brooklyn, which was known as a knife and gun club. We had a ton of trauma. It was still back in the day before we had all of this automation and amazing uh, abilities and, and things like that. So when a trauma patient would come in, we used to have to, the, we needed a way to make sure they didn't have any internal injuries. The, the least invasive way and the fastest way would be to get a CAT scan, which is what we do today, a CT scan. The problem is back in those days, it was re- things moved really slowly. The scanner was busy. It, was, it just wasn't always efficient. Sometimes we were able to get CAT scans, but sometimes we weren't. And the other way to check if a patient had internal bleeding would be, believe it or not, to put a needle inside of their abdomen, inside their abdominal wall, through just below their belly button. And through that needle, you then put a tube, like a straw in, basically. Mm-hmm. And if out of that straw came blood or poop or whatever, you knew they had an injury and you had to take them to the operating room. If the straw was just, you would instill fluid. And if the fluid was fine and clear and look, then you knew they were okay. And that's how we used to make sure patients didn't have internal injuries when we didn't have time, when it was too urgent or emergent or to go to get a CAT scan because it used to take a long time to get a CAT scan. But back in those days, sometimes we just wanted to get a quick answer on some patients who we thought, oh, they're going to be fine, and we didn't want to have to wheel them to CAT scan. Let's just stick that needle in and check and see if it's clear. The problem with just sticking a needle inside of someone's abdomen is we're doing it blindly. We're kind of just shoving a needle blindly inside of someone's abdomen where people have arteries and veins and intestines and all that stuff. And the negative is that we could accidentally cause the injury that we're looking for to see if a patient has. And almost always that never happened. But on one particular day, I remember back when I was a third year resident out of five, the five was the chief, the third year was the mid-level resident. The chief resident and I, a friend of mine, uh, had a patient, a thin man come in who we knew was probably going to be okay, but there was no way for us to clear him to know for sure he was okay, other than either take him to CAT scan, which was going to take forever and ever, 
or shove the needle in his abdomen. And it was a teaching hospital. So we went over everything to the, to the gentleman and we said, sir, we're going to put this needle in. We're going to numb up your skin and see and beep, bada boop. And he said, sure. So first the med student tried putting the needle in because it's a teaching hospital. And the med student was not able to, they put the needle in, but nothing happened. And then the first year resident tried. They couldn't do it. Then I tried. I put the needle in. I put the tube. I couldn't get it. So then at that point, the chief resident tries, my friend. I was the three. He was the five. So he's trying and he's senior. So he's trying a little more aggressively than the rest of us had tried. And he shoves that needle deep into that guy's abdomen, puts in the tube, the straw in, in its place, attached a syringe, and then withdrew the syringe and blood just came up through that syringe. And he and I looked at each other and I said, do not remove that tube. Oh my do God. Do not remove the syringe. I'm calling the OR and we're going up to the OR. Because basically what we had done is we shoved that tube into the guy's vena cava, the major vein in the body. We put it in. The guy had no internal injuries other than the one we had caused. We oh. put a tube into that guy's vena cava. Had we taken it out, the guy would have bled to death. Wow. We kept it in there so it kept the hole closed. And we kept the syringe on top so it didn't pour out. And we opened them up. Under control, we visualized it. We put a hole, uh, we put some stitches in where we made that hole, and he was home the next day. And he was oh, fine. God, I'm and glad explain to the man what happened. But the purpose of that story is there's no way a chief of surgery from that show, even with shaking hands, could not have stopped that bleeding or, or, or been able to. Okay. So I hated that's, that's that whole thing. It seemed so fast. I was like, wait, he's just dead. That's it. That's all you can do. Nothing. To some degree it, it could happen, but I, but I, it really bothered me. In fact, I want to reach out. I think it's a doctor who helped create that show. I want to reach out to that doctor. I looked him up to invite him on our podcast. I want to watch a couple more episodes and then I think we should invite him onto the podcast. Yeah. I haven't done any research about the creator or any of the writers. So I'll do a little background research too. Now I'm interested. I'm like, I guess it's yeah. possible something like that could have happened to him. I'm not sure. Yeah. And the other thing, but, the other part of the show that bothered me is that the, you know, the Zen doctor, you know, who's the experienced tough, but good guy doctor, mm -hmm. he's just a resident. And yet he seems to have so much power there. I know the he's the star of the show. I guess that's why it's called the resident. Right. And the chief of surgery tolerates, and he's just a resident. It's not even like he's, a, he's already a guy like me in attending. Like I have, I have a chief of surgery that I have to answer to at the hospitals I go to. So mm -hmm. what, it, that's what totally doesn't make sense. Although. Yeah. And I mean, I guess I'm just kind of tired because I've watched so many medical shows now uh, that just like that cockiness, like I'm just tired of that character. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like just comes in. He's right. an asshole right away, but it's okay that he's an asshole because he's going to make you a better doctor, which we've talked about. And we talked about on our last podcast with Dr. Gordon is like, you know, you do need to be harsh. And these days you can't be as harsh as you'd like sometimes because it doesn't make you better doctors. But I still feel like that much cockiness is uh, probably yeah. not real. And what's, what's interesting though, is we had on Dr. Sam Shem 
on our podcast, the, the author mm-hmm. of House of God. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of similarity. This is totally a modern day House of God. Is, is okay. That character is the fat man. Right, who, right. Who they talk about in House of God. That's, that's the fat man, you know, the, the Zen guy who knows everything and takes care of everybody. In the House of God, the fat man was a nice guy and a good guy. In the resident, the guy's not that nice, but he kind of is, you know, and we see Yeah, I mean, I guess, yeah, we've only seen one episode. Right. So. And, sure but he- there's a lot of similarities. It's definitely a modern day House of God, I think. One thing that brought me out of it, it just it made me laugh. And I wasn't, it wasn't a laughing moment. It's when someone, another doctor comes in and is like, man, I can't diagnose this patient. And he's like, I've got a million things to do. Just and the doctor quickly, like gives him a few symptoms and he goes, it's lupus. And then he leaves the room. And I was just like laughing. Cause I was like, that's house. That's like all the house episodes. It's always lupus. Why would that doctor not think to check lupus? Why is that like, doesn't he watch house? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm just like, oh my god, it's lupus yeah. again. Yeah, but but the, but then you know, uh, it's very well acted, I thought. And mm-hmm. other than doctors hooking up in uh, hospitals, another another yeah. thing that they always shove in those medical shows. It's kind of cliche, but I think it's pretty well done, don't you? Yeah, and, and and entertaining, and the drama's right, and the whole robot stuff is kind of funny too, the robotic surgery stuff. Yeah, because you do that, or you used to. I do that, and so, I don't know, I, 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 I don't know, so some, some of that stuff bothered me too, but I, but I liked how he, I like how they talk about social media, and the guy did his own social media post, and that's kind of like modern and today's yeah. world. Yeah. But, but I think, you know, the, the chief of surgery is a little too evil, but of course it has to be dramatic. It's just a little too much stereotyped or a little too extreme, but that's what makes good television, I guess. I guess it's a good lesson. I so, I mean, I know from an actor friend, if you can get over three seasons, that's like, that's money. That's, yeah. you're doing something exactly. right. Yeah. All right. Thanks everyone for listening to Gross Anatomy Podcast. Thanks, everybody. So keep liking us. Keep finding us. Keep, we really love your feedback and questions on Instagram or on the website or any way you want to give it to us. Yep. Thanks. Yep. Thanks. That's it for this week. Thanks for listening to Gross Anatomy. And be sure to subscribe to our podcast so you can check out more episodes on the evolving sights, smells, and sounds of medicine. Gross Anatomy is not intended to be a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified health provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition.